This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so you're looking. Okay, so I don't know what you're talking about, but if you're online and you're on Torah Anytime, you can push the follow button, and it will tell you where Rabbi Wallstein is going to give a shear and what else. And when it's starting and when it's ending, and it's uh, it's amazing. I don't know how it works, but Torah Anytime is amazing, and they got this whole technology going. You can follow me when I eat breakfast and I eat lunch, and anything that I say during breakfast, you'll be able to hear it. Okay, so we're going to talk a lot about tonight. First of all, Fushlim, Moshiach, Ben Miriam, Dinzabas Edel, Belabas Malka, Jilo Ben, Mashgiach, Noam, Meir Ben, anyone else who needs a... Pushalema, Penina Bas, Yafa, Zahava Bas, Zahava Bas, Sarah, Necha. Okay. So, I always talk about spiritual DNA, and I don't, I don't think it's a bigger subject, a bigger person to talk about spiritual DNA than Rus. We know that Rus is read on Shvuis. There are many reasons. Her name is Rus with the hey spells Torah. Her name is Rus, it equals in a, a tough is a 400, Rash is 200, which is 600, Vav is 606, she became a Ger, so she, a, a, a non-Jew has seven mitzvahs, so we have 613 mitzvahs, so when she became a Ger, she accepted 606 mitzvahs, and that was the essence of her name, and we learn from here that the person's name is their essence, and um, we know that, and Arpa which we'll see did, did very big Averis. The essence of her name was just, was, you know, was just exactly the opposite. But there's a very big question. And the question is that we see when we learn Megillah's Rus that Boaz asked, uh, who is this girl? Now Boaz was a girl Hadar. He wasn't asking about girls. But there was something about her that was very, very different. What was, what about her was different? So there's a Jewish law that when you're in a field, the person who owns the field, when they're gathering, when they're harvesting, so things fall off the truck that they're putting it on, and things fall on the side, and therefore that's called leket, and the poor people follow the truck and the harvesting, and anything that falls, they're allowed to take, and that's called leket. And the Jewish girls who were poor were following the harvest, and they were picking all this up, but they were bending over to pick it up. Rus was curtsying. She didn't bend over. She went straight down so that her skirt didn't didn't open up at all whatsoever. And it was very strange to see this girl, everybody bending over, and they were hungry, picking up, picking up. And this girl's like curtsying and picking up and curtsying and picking up. So it was reported to him that there's this girl in the field that's very tzniyas. She's very, very modest. So, so Boaz said, what's going on? Who is this? Who is this girl? So if she wouldn't have been a tznua, and she wouldn't have been curtsying when she picked up the wheat... Boaz would have given her no attention whatsoever, and this whole meeting of him and her would not have happened. So the question is, where did Rus, we know that this thing called spiritual DNA, a Jew has to have rachamim, a Jew has to have pity. If we don't have pity, we have to check out where he comes from, because anyone who comes from Abraham Avinu has to be a Balchas, it has to be a person who has a Balrachamim. So where did Rus come from? Rus came from probably the lowest place that a person can come, right? What happened? Lot went up to the mountains with his two daughters and thought, and his two daughters thought that the world was being destroyed. They went outside the cave and they saw everything was on fire and smoke because the cave was looking on Sodom and, and that, in Gomorrah and that area. 
and they thought the whole world was being destroyed. So all that was left was their father and them. So they say, we can't let, if we don't have children, then there'll be no children in the world, and that's it, the world's over. So we know the Torah talks about it, they gave their father wine, and they both became pregnant from their father. One had a child called Moab, and one had a child called Ammon. And the one that had a child called Moab, the name was Moab because it's spelled Me'avi. Moavi, Moavi, they're Moavim, they're called Moavi. Me'avi, from my father. So, the question is, why would a girl name a child that wherever he goes, they know that the child was born from incest? Wouldn't she try to hide it? So, why did she say Me'avi, right? The other one named it Amon, a nation, right? White. So I, it's brought down in a tshuva from Moshe Feinstein, even whatever, that, that she was a big Tadekista. And the reason that she named him Moavi from my father was because they went into a cave. And they came out of the cave, she was pregnant. And the world could have thought she would never be with her father. So it must be that God or an angel came down and made her pregnant. We know there's a religion that believes that. So she... Named her son Me'avi. There's no. This is not Christianity. That this child came from my father. No angels. No God. No son of God. No son of an angel. This came from between me and my. So just the opposite. When you look at the name, you're like, how could a mother do this to her child? She, just the opposite. She was a tzaddikista, and she wanted everyone to know. Don't, don't come up with no stories. Don't start no new religion. It's not. It's Me'avi. It's from my father. So. Moab, the nation of Moab, was born from Tumah, not from Kedusha. And then, Itaka became part of their DNA. That later on, we see that when the Jews were fighting um, with Bilam and Balak, the, the Jews, were they tried to curse us and it didn't work. So they came up with this brilliant idea, they're going to send out the daughters of Moab, to do Averis with the Jewish men. The Kachaya and Hashem punished us and 24,000 men died in a Magefa and had Pinchas not killed Zimri, the whole Klaistro would have died. So, they were a very immoral nation and very hated by the Jewish nation because, number one, they were immoral. Number two, they caused 24,000 men to die. Number three, when the Jews came out of Mitzrayim, they were hungry and they were thirsty. And they came back, they came past Moab and they asked for food and for drink. And Moab said no. Now, outside of being just not nice when people need to eat and drink, they also had a very bad Mida. And the Mida was Kafui Tov. That means not to appreciate, not to appreciate. Why were they a Kafi Tov? Because their, Moab came from Lot. And Lot was captured in the war of the four and five kings. Who saved Lot? Who saved his life? Avram Avinu. So these are the children of Avram Avinu. And they're asking for food and drink. We, if it wasn't for us, there's no Lot. There's no Moab. There's none of you. So it's a Karasatov, even if you hate us. As a Karasatov, give us to eat and to drink. They said no. So the Torah tells us that Hashem said, that's one of the proofs that I use and when I speak about spiritual DNA. For all those who don't know what I'm talking about, so in the physical world, 
anyone who took biology who knows that there's something called DNA. DNA is being studied today. It's really pretty much the cause of everything. So the color of your eyes and the color of your hair and how tall you're going to be and a lot of other things in your physical world and your physical body has to do with the DNA of your parents and your grandparents. Recessive genes, you know, we learn all this in different colors. So the Zayar says that whatever is in the spiritual world is in the physical world. They're both, they mirror each other. So just like from your parents, you get the color of your eyes and how tall you're going to be and a lot of other things. In fact, diseases and also immunizations, right? They always ask you to go to the doctor. Let's, what's the history? What's your father's history? What's your grandfather? What are you asking about my father's history? Look at me. And the answer is we look, they try to look at the DNA to prevent diseases that parents and grandparents had. So the Zayar says that in the spiritual world, the same DNA you get from your parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents, went all the way from Avraham Avinu because he was a Baal's Chesed. We're a Baal's Chesed. Right? That's thousands and thousands of years. That what a person does, don't think that what you do, I just came back from Milwaukee. I was in Milwaukee, Chicago yesterday. And this is what I talked about. Don't think that what you do is only about you. It affects your children, and it affects your grandchildren, and it affects your great-grandchildren. And we're going to see from Rus how, how it has that effect. So the Tyra tells us that even though the Mitzrim, who put us through Gehenna, made us slaves, threw our children into the water, that after, I think, three generations, you can marry a Mitzri. But you cannot marry a person from Moab. A person from Moab and Ammon, they cannot, we cannot marry them a hundred years. It doesn't make a difference. A hundred generations. We are not allowed to marry. Why? Because God didn't want mixed in the Jewish DNA a person who's a kafri tov. He didn't want Jews to have that trait, that genetic in their soul, that someone could ask you for water and for food, and that even though they saved your grandfather's life, you could say no. Hashem said, we don't want to mix that DNA into Klai Yisrael. But try him, don't worry about it. Amun and Moab, we can't mix in their DNA. So, Rus came from Moab. So there was a very big problem with Rus. Rus could not marry a Jew. Well, let me tell you what happened. If you go back all the way to Pasha's Vayera, so when Pasha's Vayera, Hashem sent three angels to do four jobs. Right? Tell Sarah she's going to have a baby. Heal Avram Avinu, destroy Sodom, and save Lot. So they had four jobs for three angels. So Rashi asks, and all the Mepharshim ask, how, how can that be? We know there's a rule in heaven that you only, Hashem only sends an angel for one mission. But one angel here, they had four missions and three angels. So one angel here had two missions, and that's impossible. So that's what Rashi and the Mepharshim asked. And the answer, well, saving Lot and healing Avram, healing and saving, it's sort of the same job. So if you want to accept that answer, it's an answer. And a lot of Chazal answer like that. There's a much deeper answer. And the answer is like this. When the Malachim, when the angels came to Avram Avinu, so they sat in the tent or the house, whatever it was, the tent, and Avraham Avinu and Yishmael were bringing them food. 
and they were wondering, all this good food is coming out of the kitchen, where's the woman of the house? She's not coming out, she's not serving us. What's going on? Why is the man and the son should be sitting at the table and the wife should be serving? So they asked him, Where is she? Where's your wife? And Abraham Avinu said, My wife? She's in the tent. And we see later, that when they were talking to Abraham Avinu, it says, the Sarah Shemas Pesach Ohel. She was in the tent. She was listening by the door. So she never walked in to where they were eating. Why? Why not? And the answer is that Avram Avinu passed in the halacha here. When the malachim asked him, where's your wife? Avram Avinu passed in the halacha that a woman should not be serving strangers. Because these strangers are going to come into the house. They're going to start saying how nice she looks and how great her food is, and it's going to end up not in a good place. So Ramavinu said, my wife, she made delicious food, but she is not here to serve you. She is in the tent. Now, once Ramavinu, it says in the Gemara that whatever we pask in the halacha in this world, they pask in the same halacha in that world. We have the power over their power. In other words, when we make Rosh Chodesh, it becomes Rosh Chodesh. Not in Shemayim, but he, when we make Rosh Chodesh here, it's Rosh Chodesh in Shemayim, it's Rosh Chodesh here. Bezdin, Klai Yisrael, we have a power, and Torah, loy bashemayim he. If a Basko, and many times in the Gemara, there was a Machlokas, and a Basko, a voice from Shemayim came out and said that the Halachi is like this and this person, and they didn't listen. They're like, Torah, loy bashemayim he. You, you can't paskin in Shemayim for us over here. So Abraham Avinu Paskin, that a woman should not serve strangers. So what happens? When these three angels were sent to this world, they had three jobs, not four. Destroy stone, heal Avram, tell Sarah she's going to have a child. Why only three? Because the only reason they saved Lot was because from Lot was going to come Moab, and from Moab was going to come Rus. But if you can't marry a person from Moab, so Rus will never get into become a, a Jew to marry Boaz. There'll, no, there'll be no David HaMelech. There'll be no Mashiach and David. So there was no reason for them to come. But now, but now, when Avram Avinu said that the halacha is that a woman is not supposed to serve men, so one second, when the Jews came, came past Moab, the women, according to Ram Avinu, were not supposed to come out and serve the Jews. It's not their place. He paskin that a woman is not supposed to serve strangers. So the only ones that didn't have Veira by not coming out and giving the Jews to eat and drink were the men. Because Ram Avinu himself paskin that a woman is not supposed to do this. So when Ram Avinu paskin this, the angel that came down to heal him was done with his job. Hashem gave him a new job. He said, not he sent them down with two jobs. He sent them down with one job. And he was going to go back to Shemayim. But then Abraham said, Sarah's not supposed to come out. Sarah's not supposed to come out. Then there's a reason to save Lot. Because from Lot comes Rus. From Rus comes Davon HaMelech. So we got a new shlichus. He got a new shlichus to go and to save Lot. And that answers my question. The question is, 
where did this Moavi girl get this Midah of Tznius? She came from the most immoral nation in the world. And the answer is that her whole being, that she was created, that Lot was saved, that there was a Moab and there was a Rus and there was a Dabar Amalek, where did it come from? It came from Sarah Imenu being in the Ohel and being a Tznua. So the essence of who Rus was came from Tznius. And therefore, it was in her DNA. She didn't go to Beis Yaakov, and she didn't read Svarim, and she didn't learn. She was the daughter of the king of Moab. She was a princess. She knew nothing about that. But inherently, without even understanding, she was modest. Because she came from Sari Imenu's modesty, because of, because of Ramavinu Paskin, that a woman was not supposed to cry. And, and I can tell you that, I see it many, in all the years that I'm teaching, I see it many times in kids that, you know, the, the, the parents come from PTA, and you have this kid in class who's just, he's just very sweet, right? Kids are born with certain natures. Some kids are just miserable and angry and, and, and don't like anybody. And you have these kids who are just like the nicest kids in the world. And, you know, sometimes you could say it's the family, it's this and that, but the kid's a kindergarten kid. And he's beating up on everybody. And the other kid is like giving everyone his snack. So then you meet the parents. And you understand sometimes. Sometimes it's the other way around. But sometimes you meet the parents and you're like, oh, I know that must be Chaim's parents. They're just very sweet. And they're like, you know, can I get you a glass of water? They're coming to PTN. They're like, oh, wait, you want me want a glass of water? I see he's sitting here already an hour. You're like, I know whose mother this one is. So, so sometimes we, by the way we act, can save our children from struggle. She didn't have to go to school and learn about modesty. She had it. She was born with it. Because her great, 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 great grandmother, Sari Imenu, right? She put this, this Mida, right? That, that, uh, that, that, that came to the world that a woman is not supposed to be serving men. So she was automatically born at Snua. Rus was born at Snua. And it's a very important lesson in our lives because we think, you know, every action has a reaction in physics. Every action in, in this world has a reaction. And therefore, the person has to know that you're not only saving yourself, and sometimes you won't see it in your children because we all know, anyone who's, who's ever studied DNA and genetics, that many times it skips a generation. Whatever is in the physical world is in the spiritual world. So we see that sometimes people have Mesiras Nefesh, they have Mesiras Nefesh in the Holocaust, and it's a great grandmother, and you see that meet in the kids also, that they really, they have Mesiras Nefesh. So what you do creates the DNA for your children, your grandchildren, and your great grandchildren. And, and we're gonna go, we're gonna go a lot further. Okay. So, so Rus had this, and this happened because of, because of Rama Vinu Paskin. Now, there's a huge machlekes in the Jewish world. Even with this whole story, many of the rabbis said, that when the Torah says that a person from Moab cannot become a Jew, it means female and male. And the other rabbis said, no, it says in the Torah, Moab, right? It says Moavi, it doesn't say Moaviyah. So it doesn't say it in a, in a female, in the keva. So therefore, a man from Moab can't come be a Jew, 
what a woman can. This machloikus is going on forever. Okay, now let's take a look at Rus. So what happens in Rus? Which um, I was in, I was in, the, in a few schools yesterday in Milwaukee, and this is really my a very important point. Boys yeshiva, wits, and other yeshivas, and I, I think it's a, it's a very, very important point in life. So let me tell you what happened here. So Rus gets married, and Arpa gets married, and then both their husbands die. Machlon and Kilion, Elimelech dies, everybody dies. All that's left is these three women: Naomi, Arpa, daughter-in-law. And Rus, I believe Rus and Arpa were sisters. They were both the king's, the king of Moab's daughters. Two daughters from the same place. Now, there's a moment in time over here, right? So if you look in, the, in, in Megillah's Rus, what happens? Naomi says to both of them, listen, you're not Jewish, right? They didn't become gay. They didn't, they weren't Jewish. They didn't, the, the, there's a little bit of a machleka, but most, before I should say that machlan and chilion, they never, they married Goyim, and they were Goyim, and that's why they died. Okay? That's, that's pretty much what everyone holds. So now, Naomi says, listen, you two of you, go back home. You have a palace. You're princesses. You can marry anybody. Your parents, your, your father and mother, the king and the queen, they're very, very rich. I have nothing. I have no more children. I'm coming back to Eretz Yisrael with zero. I'm going to live in a little tenement. We were going to have to collect tzedakah food from fields. I lost everything. So, go home. And the two of them say, no. We're not going home. And they walk a little bit further, and she turns to them and she says, listen, what do you, you think I'm going to have more children? I'm not having more children. You're not going to... I can't help you. Go home. So, Arba, listen carefully, so they both start crying. So now you have to you have to think about what's in your mind. So there's 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 Naomi and she's standing there, right? And she has one daughter in law on one side and one daughter in law on the other side, and she's telling them to go home the second time, right? What are they, what happens? But to they both start to, they both lift their voices, but right, Ode, and they continue to cry. But Tishak Arpa kisses her mother in law. That's pretty nice. With Rus, Dafkaba. And Rus clings onto her. So there's a moment in time here. We have two, two girls, one hugging on the right, one hugging on the left, right? One sticks, and one steps out. Now, you could think, okay, no, what's gonna be so bad? Arpa's gonna go back, get married, have a life. And Rus is going to go with her mother-in-law. No, that's not what happened. Says the Medrash that that night, okay, now, you have to understand, and this teaches us how far a person, and I never see it many times, how far a person can fall in a moment. Because the decision of Orpah to step out, to walk away, right? So you think, okay, she was holding on, she was crying, she was just crying. She was just crying. She raised her voice. She's crying, I don't want to go. I want to stay with you, right? Okay, I'll go. Right? It happened all of a sudden. Okay, I'll go. I'm not staying with you. All right. Not such a bad story, right? Says the Medrash that that night that she walked away from the army, she slept with a hundred men and a dog. She fell to the lowest place that you could fall and became pregnant. 
with Gullius, the giant Plishti, who we'll see soon, cursed God and cursed the Jewish nation and went up and said, one-on-one, I will destroy the whole Jewish nation. Who was his mother? Arpa. David Melech, who fought Gullius, who was his grand- great-grandmother? Rus. And the Medrash says that because Arpa cried and held on to her mother-in-law for those moments, she was awarded with a child that would become the greatest, greatest warrior ever to be in this world, and there'd be no one that would have the power to kill him. Except one. The one that is from the mother, from the woman, who held on a little bit longer than the other one. And that was David HaMelech. The only one that could kill Goliath was David HaMelech, and neither David knew that, or Goliath knew that. Goliath knew that his mother told him that he will never, ever be killed by anyone. He is the greatest warrior in the world. The difference in a moment, so many times we think, my skirt's a little a little shorter, I'll do this a little different, I'll, 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 I, I'll go to a, a store that sells salad, it maybe doesn't have a rabbi, so what's going to happen if I eat a little bit of salad, even though the knife that cuts the salad in all these city places that people eat salad is, is, is used for chazer and for oysters and for lobsters, and you can't, you can't eat those salads because they, they don't wash the knife, they don't have a rabbi, they don't care if there's some stuff on the knife, right? Okay, it's not a big deal, I'm not eating bacon, I'm not eating chazer, I, I'm still eating kosher, but when you start to move, when you start to step away, you're not dafka, you don't hold on, you let go. Yeah, the major says, look what happened that night. She let go, look what happened that night. But Rus, what does Rus say? So Rus says to her mother-in-law the following. She says, Rus, don't push me away anymore. Where you go, I will go. Where you sleep, I will sleep. Amech Ami, your nation is my nation. And your God is my God. Okay, that was the statement that she made. Arpa went with a hundred men and a dog. Rus is saying, making a whole speech, that Kleisrol is my nation and your God is my God. Okay, now you know I talk about this a lot, so I'm not going to talk about this tonight, but I just want to tell you something very interesting. Boaz, Boaz meets Rus and he calls her Biti, that's the big word, right? My daughter which is unbelievable because she was a Nachria, she wasn't Jewish, and, and he called, the Gadol Hadar called her my daughter, and she asked him, why are you calling me your daughter? And he said, very interesting, I saw this first time this year, he said, because you left your father and your mother, and you came to this nation, so that's why I called you BT. What, did, what was he saying? You left your father and mother, so you don't have parents. You gave away, you walked away from them. You came to, you came to Kleistral. So you don't have parents. If you don't have parents, you need a parent. So I'll become your parents. And that's why you call it Biti. And later on, now you have to know something else. My, my daughter. My daughter. BT is my daughter. Or initials Valchuva, but that's not what it means over here. Okay. So, so, later on, it's very, very fascinating. Just to, just to show you, to show you who Rus really was, okay? So now, she was a very big snoor, she curtsied, right? And that was her godless. 
her, her greatness was that she was a tznua. That was her source. That's who she was. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, tells her later on in Rus that Boaz, now he's the Gadol Hadar. And why did he decide to take care of her? Because she was a tznua. So, there's a halacha that if a man dies without any children, it's called Yibam, he dies without any children, so his brother is supposed to marry his brother's wife that the husband died without children, so that when she has a child with him, it's sort of like bringing a child to the world through his brother. It's called Yibam, right? Now, if there's no brother, we go to the next one, and the next one, and the next one. Until we find a relative, right? If there's no brothers, we find a relative to bring that child, to marry the woman who lost that brother, right? And, and bring, now. It's called a goel. So, since these two guys died, the closest goel to marry Rus was Plony Almoni, and this, that was his name, and the second closest was Boaz. But Naomi didn't want any part of, Naomi was the mother-in-law, didn't want any part of Plony Almoni. So she said, listen, I know that tonight, now Boaz is Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. Boaz is the, is the holiest, 90-year-old, holiest, shofei, gadol, tzaddik in the whole world. He was the leader of Klyestrel. Moshe Rabbeinu of Klyestrel at that time. And she said, Naomi said to Rus, tonight, he's sleeping in the granary. Boaz owned fields, that's where he met her. And they used to bring in all the grain, and they would put it in the, in the granary, and then they had to give certain trumas and maestros. So she said, tonight, Boaz is sleeping in the granary. Go in the middle of the night. Go to where he's sleeping. And he has a blanket on. And uncover his feet. Now what does that, what does that mean when you uncover his feet? That means it's a, a symbol that I'm uncovering your feet. That means that I want you to be my goel. But she said to her mother-in-law, if someone catches me, if someone catches me walking in the middle of the night and stepping into the Galahadar's bedroom, they're going to say I'm a Zaina. And everything that I stand for is going to go out the window. In fact, if you look at what, very, very fascinating, what Naomi tells her, he says the following. It's like a very scary, and there's, there's, a, there's something that we can learn from him, very, very important for when Boaz, when she woke him up by uncovering his legs. So, it was in the middle of the night. And the man was startled and turned around when she uncovered his legs, right? Right? And he said, who are you? Rashi says he thought that she was a Shindalad. Because no Jewish girl would come into the Gala Adar's bedroom and, un- and uncover his legs. So he said, Mi'at, are you human? What are you? Right? I'm Rus, your maidservant, and I want you to be my girl Adam. Now listen to his reaction. Do you imagine Gala Adar is sleeping? All of a sudden there's a girl... Uncovering his feet as a girl in the granary alone with him, 
on his bed, that's not sneeze. And he should have said to her, what are you doing? Knock on the door tomorrow morning and ask me to be a girl or dumb. Right? That's what he should have said. Are you crazy? Chutzpah? I'm a girl at door and you come in the middle of the night and you uncover me? Knock on the door in the morning and say, uh, Rabbi, I need to talk to you. That's what I would have said. What, is, what does he say? Mi'at, who are you? Vayomer, when she says who she is, Vayomer, brucha at la Hashem, biti. You should be a bench, my daughter. No criticism. No, how could you do that? Do you know who I am? He said, you should be benched. And again, he says, my daughter. And he's fascinated. And he says to her, This chesed that you're doing is even greater than the first chesed. What's this chesed that she's doing? She took a chance. The whole Klai Yisrael, listen, you have to understand who Rus was. And this is the Midos that you have to have. That's why it's connected to Shavuos. Because if you have these Midos, you can be Makabal the Torah. You have to understand who Rus was, right? The whole Klai Yisrael is saying, she's a lowlife. She's a Moaviyah, and you're not allowed to marry her. In fact, in the beginning of Megillah's Rus, after Boaz meets Rus, he says to her, don't worry. None of my boys will touch you, says in the Pasuk. And Chazal asks, why would he have to tell her that? What guy would touch her? These were yeshiva boys. They were working in the field. His boys would touch a girl? So why did he have to tell her, don't worry, they're not going to touch you. That must be that she was worried. So Chazal says, the Medrash says, that when she came down to the field before Boaz, and they thought she was a Moaviyah, they said a chutzpah, a, a, a guy, these are from a low life, a low life from Moavia, you're taking tzedakah away from Jewish girls, and the Medrash says that they picked her up, these guys picked her up, and threw her over the fence. And said, get out of this field, you're a Moavia, you're a low life. So he said to her, now you don't got to worry, no one's going to touch you. No one's going to throw you over the fence. But they already had thrown her over the fence. You can imagine in Shemayim all these big tzaddikim that threw over the fence. After 120 years, they came up to Shemayim and they're like, by the way, um, you know who you threw over the fence? David Amelik's grandmother. Good job, guys. Good call. Nice call. Mashiach's great-grandmother. You flipped her over the fence. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. So, everybody who saw her, everybody who saw her and she tells Boaz, I need to be consoled. Everybody that saw her said, stay away. She's a Moaviyah. Not only that, she married one of us. And look what happened to him. He died. So she was judged, flipped over a fence, and hated. And the reason that we didn't want to have anything to do with Moavim is because they're immoral. And here you have this girl who's the opposite. She's the most modest person in the world and her mother-in-law is telling her to do something that is so immodest to go into a place alone with the Gadol Hadar in his bedroom and uncover and said, she sat at the end of the bed after she uncovered his feet. Uncovered. She should have said, if they catch me, they're all going to say, you see, we were right. 
She is a low life. You can't trust the Moavia sneaking into the Galahadol's bedroom. So it was a crazy sacrifice on her part to do this chesed for her mother-in-law and put her name and everything she stood for on the line because her mother-in-law lost both her sons and wanted a child to come into this world through Rus so that it would be like hers. But now I'm going to tell you something even crazier. So the whole reason that Boaz, this whole thing was happening, was because of Yibam. There is no Yibam by a non-Jew. So, Rus's marriage to Naomi's son was not a marriage. Because a marriage to a non-Jew is not considered a marriage. So, really, Lahalacha, there was no Yibam here. It was Naomi saying, well, they were married, so, and my son had no children, and he was Jewish, so maybe we can find a girl or dumb that we can bring a child into the world. So Ruth could have turned around and said, Ma, Ma, listen to me. If I get caught, everything that I stand for is going to go out the window. And it's not even real, Yibum. Come on, give me a break. Don't make me do this. But she didn't do that. She went into the, she went in the middle of the night, and she did what her mother-in-law said to do, and he could not believe it, because he already saw that she was a big snua, and he said, what a chesed! You put everything on the line, you're the girl who curtsied, you're the girl they flipped over the fence, you put everything on the line for your mother-in-law, this chesed is even greater than the other chesed. And it says also, that her mother-in-law told her to dress, let me see what it says, one second, it's amazing. Uh, she says the following. Oh, yeah. She says the following. So she tells her that I want you to go to the to the to the silo. And in Pasuk Gimel, she says, therefore, therefore, she says, to bathe yourself, the anoint yourself, the and put on your your best clothing, and when you're at Hagoyren, and go to the silo, and don't take, don't make yourself known to Boaz until he finishes eating and drinking. Okay? Now if you look, she didn't do that. Right? And she didn't do that. Because it brings down in the Mepharshim, she didn't do it because she felt that if she's going to be caught and she'll have makeup on and, and, and dressed up in beautiful clothing and everything like that, then for sure if she's going to get caught, everyone's going to say, this is what she, this, she's, she's, she's a Zaina. So she didn't, she didn't even listen to her, she didn't listen to that part of what her mother-in-law said. She went down very quietly, you know, trying not, not, of course, trying not to get caught. But Mamish put who she is on the line and therefore from her, comes Malchus, Sheba Malchus. From her comes David HaMelech. From her comes Moshiach. Because the greatest combination there is, is a Tznua with Chesed. And she was both. She was a Tznua and put everything that she stood for on the line 
and she had this unbelievable midah of, of tzniyas and chesed and malchus, a kingdom, a kingdom has to be modest, but it also has to be kind. And she's the Aim Shamashiach. She's called Aim HaMalchus. That's what she's called. Later on in the Navi by Shlomo Melech, when he woke up late, it says the Aim HaMalchus tied him to a post and whipped him. And the Mepharshim say, who was the Aim HaMalchus? Some say Batsheva, but most say it was Ruth and she had lived a very, very long time. So the woman that was called Aim HaMalchus, and I told this to the girls yesterday, I said, any girl, any woman, any person's world who feels uh, what am I going to turn into? What could I be already? What could I be already? You know, you know where I come from. I don't have yichus. I come from a broken family. I, my, my mother died when I was very young. I, 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 I have ADD. I can't do this. I can't do that. We have all these excuses that I'm, there's no greatness. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu was great and Rus was great, but I'm not Rus. What do you mean Rus was great? Rus came from incest. Rus came from from Moab and, and from, from Lot and his own daughters. Rus came from from Moab. From a king of Moab, Rus came from nowhere. Rus is a gear. She wasn't born a Jew. And who comes from Rus? Malchus of Klyestrol. And who is she called? Ema Malchus, the mother of Jewish kings, is a Gyeres, who was the daughter of the kings of Moab from the most immoral nation in the world. Who had no hakaras atov, who had no tzniyas, who came from Lot and his own daughter. Why did Hashem do it that way? Why didn't Ruth come from two tzaddikim, uh, a beautiful Beis Yaakov girl, holy, holy girl, and a very big tzaddik, a guy who's been learning his whole life, put them together, and that's, that's what David Amalek is going to come from? There's two reasons. Isaiah says one reason is that Hashem understood, this is very hard to understand because Hashem can do whatever he wants, but Hashem knew that the Satan was looking for the seed of Mashiach, of Malchus, and he wanted to destroy it. So Kosh hid it in a place that he would never look for the, for Mashiach. But desire, we don't really understand what that means because Hashem, so what? So, so you can hide anything from him. Why that way? And it brings down also the desire that Mashiach is coming from a very, a place that, very low place, from a place that you'll never expect them to come from. So he's coming from a place that that the, the Satan is not looking for him. So it's to teach us also an amazing lesson. And that's what we read. And for women, I know women don't like to hear this, but for women, and I'm going to get a lot of emails from this, but I have to say it, right? Whether you like it or not, Tznius, for a woman, is her Torah. She's not Machayev in Talmud Torah. In the Rambam, if you look at Hilchah's Torah, right? You do not have to learn. Lahalacha, you do not have to learn. Now we all learn, because if you're not going to learn, you're going to get yourself in trouble. But you don't have a mitzvah of Hilchah's Talmud Torah. But the tzniyas of a woman is her tzitzis. We wear tzitzis every second to remind us, I see my tzitzis, I remember there's Hashem. A woman is dressed tzniyas because really, she, why am I dressed like that? I can dress any way I want. And the answer is, I'm doing this because I'm modest and because this is what the Torah tells me to do. And therefore that reminds me of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, her Torah, Rus's whole becoming the grandmother of Dabr HaMelech, Happened not because she was giving out candies or chesed or tzedakah. What Boaz saw was a girl that curtsied amongst girls that didn't. It was the whole connection. So he went over to her and he said, "Who is this Nara? Who is this Nara? Who is this girl?" Women don't like to hear this because we're much deeper and we're much smarter and we're we're it's not it's not all about sneers. And 100, percent you are deeper and you are smarter, but it is about sneers. 100. percent 
And if I told you anything differently, I'd be lying. And, that, and that's a woman's period sitzes because when she's, when she's walking and she's dressed correctly, then she remembers, I'm only dressed like this because of Hashem. So every second, you know, I had, when we, we did this thing in my class that if you live from 13 to 90, you lived a billion seconds. So as long as I'm wearing my tzitzit, every second I get a mitzvah. So we figured out if you come to Shemayim, before you even start with your whole chart, you have a billion mitzvahs. So of course when I told that to the girls, they're like, yeah, here we go again, Jewish religion. It's a guy's religion. We're going to come up there. You're going to have a billion mitzvahs. So the Kabayashar, which is a sefer from 300 years ago, that's a Kabbalah sefer, says very clearly that a woman sneers every second that she's a tznua. And, and, and sneers is not the length of your dress. Not only the length of your dress, it's how you talk how you walk and how you act and you don't talk back and you don't yell and you don't curse and you don't chew tobacco you know and spit it out and you don't smoke and you don't drink from a bottle right sneers modesty is by man also we have people think only women have sneers a man has sneers also it has not to do with where the person dresses a modest person is not a big shot is not yelling is not cursing is not answering back sneers is not just your clothing if you if you're covered from head to toe and you're screaming back at your parents, you're not a tznua. You're not. If you're sitting in class and you're saying something fresh to a teacher, you're not a tznua. Doesn't matter how long your clothing is. So tznius is a is a is a, is a is a very important thing. So therefore, on shvuis, especially on shvuis, when men and women got to Torah, the Torah of a woman is her modesty, and therefore we read Rus because her whole Torah, why she is Ema Malchus. Was her modesty, but she wasn't just modest when she was in the field. She was modest even when she came to Boaz that night. She was just a very modest person, and that was the aim Hamalchus. The aim Hamalchus was based on sneers. Where did that come from? Sorry, Menu. When they asked her where she is, Avram Avinu said, "Where is she?" Shehine Ba'ohel. So she also had very big mesiras nefesh because she didn't halakhically have to do this for her mother-in-law. But she had this relationship with her, and she had a karasato for her mother-in-law. So she did something that was totally to do what what you enjoy doing. You get credit. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't come near when you do something that your mama it it, it's, it bothers you. You don't like this person, and they need help, and you help them. The mitzvah in the Torah, right? It's like But the mitzvah in the Torah is if you see your enemy. And he has a donkey, and there's too much weight on the donkey. You have to help your enemy. What does that mean? Because that's the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to do. Yes, it's very easy to do the things that you love to do, but to build the muscle in a person's soul, you have to go against yourself. The stuff that you don't want to do. I always tell you, I have this, this person in the morning when I, where I dive in, he collects tzedakah. I do not like this man. Now, I like everybody, but this guy is obnoxious. Really, he just, in the middle of Dominic, he just puts his hand right in front of my face. No! And I'm like, I point to my sitter, I'm Dominic Kriyashma, right? I'm a little Kriyashma. He's like, no! No! And I'm like, I want to slap his, get away from me, get out of here, crazy. And I don't think he's Jewish. I don't think he's Jewish. And one time, I walked out of the shul, and he was collecting, and I said, it's very late, just say with me, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. I said, okay, go ahead, Shema Yisrael... He wouldn't say it. And when he's in shul, I watch him. He never says amen. And when they say kedusha, when everyone puts their feet together, he keeps walking. I don't think he's Jewish. I really don't think he's Jewish. 
and it bothers me. So everyone in the morning, they go around, they come up my quarters, give everybody a quarter because a lot of people come by. When he walks by, he goes, Nee-hoo! I give him a dollar because I want to fight myself because I don't like him and I don't want to give it to him. But to give the other guys a quarter, I enjoy that. Thank you. They give me a buck or whatever it is. This guy, I don't want to give him a penny. I want to give him a penny, exactly. Here's a penny and I get your hand out of my face. I give him a dollar. And I'm not trying to tell you that I'm a tzaddik, but it's a, it's, a, it's a good feeling when you go against yourself, when you break yourself, when your mother, just every time she says something to you, you go crazy inside. And you're like, Mommy, I love you. Thank you. I, I'm going to do that. Right? When your friend asks you, you want to do it. Oh, sure. For her, you'll do it. Yeah, you want to do it. It's my friend. So you get tzachah. Don't get me wrong. But we don't visit our grandmothers. We visit everybody else's grandmothers. Right? So, yeah, to break yourself and to go visit your grandmother where you're not going to get any credit and no one's going to say how wonderful you are that you go to nursing homes and to hospitals to visit kids you're actually going to visit your own family. No one's going to say nothing to you, and you do it anyway. That's how a person grows. Rus over here, right, to curtsy, that's who she was. But to go to a man and un, in the middle of the night and uncover his legs, that was who she's not. And she went, and she did it, and Boaz realized what she did because he knew who she was, and he said, BT, my daughter, don't worry. I will not sleep again until this matter is settled. Whether you're going to marry me or you're going to marry Plony Almoni. By the way, that's also the sign of a, of a, of a leader is that when he sees something, there's so many lessons in Rus, right? He, he, the, she was the mother of Mashiach and the mother of, to say, Imamach of Dabar Amalek, but he was the father. And he had two unbelievable midos also. Acceptance, which was, he called her BT. He didn't judge her. If you want to be a king, you can't be judgmental. And everybody that you, that's under your kingdom has to be like your own child. And that came from Boaz, not from Rus. That came from Boaz. But there was something else that was very important that I wish I would learn, because I'm not like this at all, right? He said to her, He said to her, listen to me. He said, stay here tonight till the morning, because I don't want you walking out at night, because if they're going to see you walking out of the silo at night, they're going to think that something happened over here, right? And he says, so she, um, where does he say here that I will not rest? He said, I will not rest till this ends. He says to her, I will, this, the morning will not come that I, we will, we will, oh no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He does not say this. He does not say this. She comes home to her mother-in-law and she tells her mother, her mother-in-law says, so what happened? Right? So she comes to her mother, she says, so what happened? Tell me everything. She says, he gave me his chesarim and he said, don't go home empty-handed by Toymer. So, so Naomi tells Rus, Just stay home until we see what happens. Because this man will not rest until he settles this matter today. It's a sign of a leader. 
he sees a problem, he does not rest until it says, oh, I'll call you back tomorrow. I'll call you in two days, we'll make an appointment. No. Not a leader. A leader sees a situation. So Naomi said, I know who Boaz is. And I am telling you that it's going to happen today. He will not pull it off. He will not rest until the thing is settled. The kachaya. That's the sign of a leader. It's the sign of a person who treats another person like he's, if it's your daughter, you're all looking at me thinking, I called him ten times, he didn't answer me. Right? If it's, I know, if it's your daughter, then how could you rest until the thing is done? So when he called her Biti and he said, it's my daughter, it wasn't lip service. It was like his daughter. My daughter is hanging between Plony Almoni and me. It, it, the, day, the sun's not setting until I settle this. That was who Boaz was. That was, that's where Mashiach, that's where, that's where David Amela comes from. Okay. So I want to end. There's, there's so many Midrashim, but there's, there's one Midrash here that's, that's, there's two Midrashim here that are, that are, that are unbelievable. So David Amelech had this, David Amelech came from the same place like Rus. Okay? David Amelech came, came from a place that they thought was a very, very low place. What happened, and, and we learn from here, um, the power of a bracha, I'll say this very fast. When they got married, when Boaz and Rus got married, so all the people that were there gave them a blessing. And they said, your household should be like Rachel and Leah. They didn't say Sarah, they didn't say Rivka. Should be like Rachel and Leah. Let me tell you what happened. Klyasrael kept fighting. Now Boaz paskin against the bed. He paskin that a Moavia, a girl from Moab, is allowed to marry a Jew. And to prove it, he married her. Except what happened was, the morning after he got married, he died. So everybody in Klyasrael said, you see, he was wrong. He married a Moavia. Hashem said, you're not allowed to. Hashem punished him, then he didn't live through the day. He died the next morning. He got married at night. The next morning they found him dead. So Klyasrael said, oh boy, he was wrong. Tony Amoni was walking around. I'm glad it wasn't me. If I would have married her, I'd be dead. And at Shemayim, they were laughing. You fool, we only kept Boaz alive till that age. He was very old for that night so that the seed of, of, of Dovin Amalek would come into the world. Right now, he accomplished what he had to. She became pregnant, so he didn't have to be here anymore. Plony Amoni was walking around, you fool, you, Plony Amoni, would not have died. Because he wasn't 90 years old. You would have had David Amalekh as your great-grandson. So Plony Amoni was walking around showing off how smart he was. And Shemayim, they were laughing at him, you fool, you gave up. The Malchus of David came from Boaz, not from you. Mashiach came from Boaz, not from you. You made a big mistake. But he's walking around like, oh, wow, look at me. But what happened in Christ at that point, they're like, maybe you can't marry him, Olivia. Look what happened to him. So Yishai... Yishai, who came, the grandson of Rus, at that point they were still having this machlokas. He had seven sons, and Bezin said to him, "We're not sure. We're not sure if your sons are kosher, because if you come from a Moavia who's not allowed to be a Jew, then you're not a Jew in the right way. You can't marry. You can't marry. You're a Jew because she was a ger. You can't marry a regular Jewish person. And you, these seven kids came from a regular Jewish person, so it could be that all your seven children are apostle." So what you need to do to make a, to make a kosher child is you have to take your maidservant, you have to free her, she becomes a Jew, then you marry her. It's a whole process to have a a good a, a child that's kosher. So Yishai said, "Okay, those children are all a suffix. Fine, 
So I'll marry my shifcha. So he separated from his wife to marry his shifcha. And the night that he was getting married to his shifcha, that he was supposed to be with his shifcha, his wife, now the Gemara said that Yishai never did an Avera. He only died because the Nachat, because Chava ate from the tree. He never, he was clean, he never did a sin. So his wife said, I'm gonna let my husband Yishai, a tzaddik like this, be together with a shifcha? No. So she went, and she paid off the shifcha, and they switched. But Yishai didn't know that it wasn't his wife. Yishai, like Yaakov Avinu, who was fooled, thought that it was the shifcha. So the bracha that they gave, that from your family should be like Rachel and Leah, came true. Because what happened over here between the shifcha and the, and the real wife is exactly what happened between Rachel and Leah. We see that a bracha, you gotta be careful what you say. Okay? But what happens? She becomes pregnant. From that night, Yishai's wife becomes pregnant. Now Yishai knows he's separated from her. So how could she be pregnant? So they're saying that while she was separated, she committed adultery. She was with a different man. That means the child's a mamzer. She tells him, no, the child is not a mamzer. Let me tell you what I did. I paid off the shifcha and we switched. He's like, how do I know that's true? I think the child might be a mamzer. What does Hashem do? All seven guys, tall, dark svardim. Dark, dark, good-looking svardim. This little baby gets born, blue eyes, white skin, and flaming red hair. An admoni, he was an admoni, a redhead. Aha! If all seven guys are dark, and this kid is a redhead... You committed adultery. Of course you committed adultery. It came from a different father. So they were very embarrassed that their mother had this mamzer. So they took him when he was old enough and they put him in the desert outside of Beis Lechem. And they didn't want anyone to know about the child, I don't want to use the English word, right? The child that was a mamzer. And the Medrash says that every time something was stolen in Beis Lechem, they said it's the redhead mamzer in the desert, he did it. And the Medrash said that Dabra Melech would pay back what was stolen even though he, didn't, he had nothing to do with it. So that they wouldn't make such a big commotion. And he was the child that was put away that no one was allowed to know about. Along comes Shmuel, Hanavi, and says, I'm here, Yishai, one of your children is going to be the Melech of Klai Yisrael. Let me see. Line them up. And he lines up all seven boys, and he looks at each one of them, and Shmuel Anobi says, he's not here, but any chance you have another kid? He goes, yeah, we do, sort of. He's in the desert. Look, look, look at that. It's unbelievable, right? So they bring, they bring him back, and Shmuel takes one look at him and says, that's the one. And he's not a mamza. Right? With the Navi. He's not a mamzer. Okay. So now you have this little David Melch. He was, he was short, as Goliath made fun of him, right? I don't know what short in those days meant short, but he was so beautiful. David Melch was so beautiful. I have to read you this. It's unbelievable. He was so, he had the most beautiful. Goliath, right, was a pretty mean guy. Says, Admoni, you redhead, fear, you're a beautiful little, you're a beautiful, you're a beautiful boy. 
called him Yefei Mar. The Navi says, Yefei Mar is very, very beautiful, right? The Navi says that he had in his eyes, in Dabon HaMelech's eyes were every color, the whole Roy Gebir, the whole prism. He had every color. His eyes were made out of all, were the seven colors, right? Of all seven colors. You, there, there was no, there never ever was such a pair of eyes in the world. He had the most amazing eyes. Now, I'll read it to you from inside because no one's going to believe it. I'm going to say, like, Robert Alstein, where did you see this, right? It says it right out. I'll tell you where it says it. Listen, listen, listen. Where does it talk about his eyes? Why does it matter that he had such beautiful eyes? It says when he looked. Here, listen to this. Listen to this. In the Zayar, in the Zayar, Kodesh and Pashas by Yikra, She'enei David ha'yimitsuyim michol minei gavanim. David HaMelech's eyes were created with all the colors. The lohaisa ayim ba'olam yafet kamoisho David. There were never eyes in the world more beautiful than the eyes of David HaMelech. V'chol gavanei ha'olam, all the colors of the world, were in there. When he would look at an ish tzadik, he was happy. As it says in Tehillim, when he would look at a Russia, I don't know if that means he got tzaras or the Russia. I think the Russia got tzaras. Okay. So, David wasn't stam. He wasn't stam a person. He was. He was very, very beautiful, but he looked very, very different than everybody else. So, what happens over here? This Plishti, who's his first cousin, twice removed, because the opera and there were sisters, and David was a grandson, or great-grandson, and, and he, Goliath was just a plain son. He lived very, very long. So David HaMelech, and we'll make this fast, David HaMelech, we'll continue next week, Mitzvah Hashem, David HaMelech stands up to him, and he's telling David HaMelech, I'm going to chop your head off, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And we'll talk about where David HaMelech got the strength. In short, I'm, I'm going to tell you next week the whole medrash, but in short, where did he get the strength from the DNA? What did she say, Rus? Rus said, your nation is my nation, and your God is my God. What was this Goliath talking? He was screaming at them, he was cursing our nation, and he was cursing God. So when, when he had it in his blood... Right? That Hashem is my God. Where did that come from? Where did David get that from? His great-grandmother Rus, at that moment when Arpa stepped away and did all those Averis, his grandmother Rus stood there and said, your God is my God. So now David HaMelech, the war, the war between Arpa, between Goliath and David HaMelech, went all the way back to Arpa and Rus. You have a giant fighting David HaMelech, you have Arpa and Rus, and Upper walked away, and was stuck, and in the end, Goliath gets killed, and David becomes the Melech. History repeats itself. That's spiritual DNA. She gave the DNA to David HaMelech to be in a place that he was not scared of the Plishti, even though Shaul, who was the biggest warrior in the world, everybody was scared of him, except David HaMelech. But we're going to get to that next week. I want to end with an unbelievable Medrash. And the Medrash says the following. First of all, I want to tell you how Hashem looks at women, at his, at his daughters. When David HaMelech hit him with the stone and he went down, so he wanted to make sure that Goliath was dead. So he came to Goliath, he had a stick. By the way, when, he, when, when the first time Goliath saw David HaMelech, he saw this kid, no armor, with a stick and a slingshot. So you know what he said? He said, you think I'm a dog? So the Medrash says, that's not what he said. He said, 
you're coming to fight me with a stick and a, and a, and a slingshot? You think my mother, my grandma, my mother became pregnant from the dog? So you think that's who I am? That you can beat me like a dog with a stick? That's what he said, right? So David, listen to this. When, they, when he was down on the floor and he was out, David Melch walked up to him. He's a giant. It, it, he was 12 feet tall. He was six almost tall. Goliath. 12 feet tall. You're talking about this ceiling here, okay? And he couldn't, he couldn't get the sword out because at that point, Goliath didn't pull the sword out yet because he shot him from far. So the sword, which was huge, he couldn't get out because it was locked. Now, in those days, big warriors had a weapons carrier. They came to fight, and then they had this kid next to them that had the sword and the arrows and the spears. He would say, give me a spear. Give me this, give me that. They had their own weapon carriers, like in golf. They had the guy who carries the clubs. Same thing. So, he's laying on the floor, Goliath, and David Melech can't get the sword out. It's locked. And the weapons carrier is sitting there. So he says to him, if you give me the keys to get the sword, I will give you, if you become a ger, I will get you the most beautiful Jewish woman, whoever you want, I will make sure that you'll be able to marry her. So the weapons carrier said, you sure? He said, I'm sure. And he gave him the keys, and he took the sword, and he chopped Goliath's head off, and he picked it up, and all the Christians ran for their lives. The measure says the following. Hashem said, you decided that Jewish women you could just give away? My daughters? You decided you're going to make a deal with a weapons carrier? That if you become Jewish, I'll get you any girl that you want? You can't take my daughters and make deals with them. So you know what I'm going to do, said HaKadosh Baruch Hu? You want to give away Jewish girls? You just gave away your zivug. Do you know who the weapons carrier was? Uriah, Batsheva's husband. He gave away his zivug, Batsheva, right? He gave away his zivug, that was his zivug reshon, David HaMelech, ended up that Uriah, this weapons carrier who was a guy, became a Jew. Who did he marry? Batsheva. So David had to send him to war that he should get killed, which David Amalek got into a lot of trouble for, right? And we can't, we're not allowed to really discuss it, says the Gemara. And then he went ahead after he got killed, he married Bathsheba, but it was already Zivuk Shani. Because said, you can't give away my daughters. You want to give away a Jewish girl? I'll take yours. I'll take your Zivuk away. And he talked about the Zivuk. And it's a very important lesson. It's a beautiful, the way the Medjah said that. Because said, you, you, you don't, you don't use my daughters to make deals. These are my daughters. So I'm going to punish you. Do you want to give away a Jewish girl? I'm taking away your Jewish girl. I'm taking away your Zivug. It's one Medrash. This is the last Medrash. So Dabna Melech had these five stones. The five stones, you know what they were? So, if you learn in, in Pasha Shmos, when they were traveling, so it says that his children, Moshe Abeno's children, didn't have a bris. Because they were traveling, and all of a sudden this big snake came, and it swallowed up Moshe Rabbeinu, and Zipporah realized what was going on, so she took out a tsar. Tsar is a flint rock that's very, very sharp, and if you learned geology, you know, geology, so they used to have these arrows with these stones on top, those flint rocks, right? So they were very, very sharp. She had a tsar, and she cut the brismila with the tsar. So, 
there were five of them that David Melech had. Five of these stones for Brismila. Avraham's, Yitzchak's, the one that was used by Moshe Rabbeinu, and two of them that Yehoshua used when they came into Eretz Yisrael and they did all the Brismilas. Those were the five stones that he had. But he had a major problem. The helmet that Goliath wore, according to Shmuel Aleph, according to, according to the Navi, was so thick, it was copper, it was so thick that an arrow, right in front of you, would shoot an arrow, it would bounce off. Everything bounced off this helmet. So how is a stone going to penetrate? So the Medrash says, I can show it to you in the Mamlayas, that David HaMelech said the following. He said to the metal and the helmet, he said, I will make you a deal. You can make the biggest Kiddush Hashem. Because if I take Goliath down in front of Klai Yisrael, this would be the biggest Kiddush Hashem. So I am asking you that when my stone hits the helmet, I want you to part like the Yamsuf. And I want you to let my stone go in to his head. And the deal is as follows. If you allow that to happen, from now on, Prismilas will never be done with a tsar, with a stone. From now on, all circumcisions, all brismilos, I am telling you, will be done with metal. And from that day on, all brismilas that we do are always done with metal, not with stone. The Kachayus says the Medrash, he shot the stone, the metal opened up, and the stone, that's why he wasn't worried about the slingshot, because he figured it's going to hit him and bounce off. He thought it was a big joke, and all of a sudden the metal opened up, the stone went in and killed him. What, what's the lesson here? So it sounds like a, a fairy tale, you know? Yes. I'm sorry. Um, I have to go for this. Okay, I'm done. We're finished. No, I'm, I'm sorry to, to leave in the middle, but you won't forget the poetry, right? Of course not. Of course <laughs> I won't forget the poetry. So you're not leaving in the middle because I'm done. The answer is... Hakaras Hatoiv. David HaMelech said, if you open up I'm not just asking you. He could have just asked for a miracle. Kiddush Hashem, open up. Let it in. He said, no. I have to have a korsatov to a piece of metal. I can't ask a piece of metal to do me a favor and not give it back something. What a lesson. So we said, metal, if you do this, my korsatov is that the stone that you're letting in which is a stone that's used for a brismila, the stone now, now owes you something, because really it should have bounced off your head. So that stone itself, now of course I told that that stone will give you, that the kedusha that the stone has that it does a brismila will now be given to you. The kachaya. What a lesson in our karasatov. That even a piece of metal and a piece of stone has a piece of stone has a karasatov when a piece of metal does something for it al achas kama vakama surely a million times over the hakarasatov the recognition and thankfulness we have to have if a person does us a favor and a million times more than that if God does us a favor and he gives us life every single day so those are the midos we need to walk away from tonight hakarasatov tsnua chesed to make sure that if you see a problem in life, that you don't rest until that problem is solved. And that every Jew that you look at, no matter what they look at, even if someone else threw them out of school, or threw them out of the fence, and they're out in the street, and they look like a Moavia, 
no one in this room and no one watching this year is greater than Boaz. So that child and that girl and that boy is either BT or Beni. It's my son and my daughter. And if that's how we treat each other, we will see David Amelech. We will see Mashiach Ben David Bekarov. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.